0: I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds I guess you were right, Linus. Good morning. I thought it would be great to have Linus read our scripture for us today. <laughs> A little guest appearance for us. My name is Julie Steele, and I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen. And I want to welcome you to, as we saw with the candle lighting from the Gill family, the second Sunday in Advent. There is also another day today that is a holiday. Does anybody know what another holiday today is? If you're in first service, you cannot say. No? It might be, but that's not what I'm looking for. It's St. Nicholas Day. This is December 6th. St. Nicholas was a real person in the third century, and actually for you uh, church history buffs attended the council at uh, Nicene, So uh, he was a real person and obviously has evolved over the years, but he uh, started out as a benevolent person, became a bishop, and uh, he passed away on December 6th, and so that's why it's celebrated each year. So you can Google it and check out another holiday that you can celebrate because you just don't have enough right now, right? Well, I wanted to share with you a little Christmas story. I was thinking, what's a memorable Christmas that I have had that I could just, Share with you, and uh, the one that came to my mind was uh, about um, two thousand eight. My son Ben was in Africa, serving as a missionary in Burkina Faso. He was there for a couple of years, and the second year that he was there at Christmas time, we wanted to send his brother over to be with him to So he could see Africa and also to uh, just be with his brother during the holiday season. So Adam flew up from L.A. We put him on a plane here to France. From France, you fly to Niger, which is another little country above Burkina Faso, and then you fly into Burkina Faso. Well, you know that you can't. Use your cell phone once you leave the country, so this was all a little unnerving to me because we would not know did he make his next connection, what happened he doesn't He speaks a little bit of Spanish, which isn 't going to get you very far in that part of the world. So it was kind of scary. Well, we got him on the plane, and uh, Christmas Eve afternoon it was about four o 'clock. Barry and I were getting ready to come to church here. And I get a phone call from Ben, and um, he says, ''Mom, Adam wasn't at the airport.'' ''Oh, my goodness.'' So I said, ''Well, like, so now what? Like, how, Can you ask the people at the airport if that flight came in?'' He said, ''Mom, nobody knows.'' They don't, you know, nobody knows. I'm thinking, ''Okay, so how do we call an airport in Africa to find out if my son was there?'' I got a little panicky, and I'm looking at my husband, Barry, saying, you're going to have to go find him. Like, get your passport. we got to get you on a plane. You have to go find him. He's lost. He's been kidnapped. I don't know what. Then I start to hear this little chuckle in the background. They're both laughing. Ben goes, just kidding, Mom. He's right here. I was so mad. I said I had not ever disliked my children so much in my entire life, and I just hung up on them. Like... You're done. They thought that was the funniest thing. I know I have Target written all over my face, don't I? When I, was a mom? So, Zach, you have a couple pictures for me. That is them. Adam looks really thrilled to be there, huh? Uh, with his brother in Africa. And uh, they decided to go Hawaiian that year. And then there's other picture um, is of Ben. When he got to Africa in Burkina Faso, they did not know who Santa Claus was. He was Pierre Noel. So he got a tailor to make him a Santa Claus suit. He had to explain to them what this would look like and that he would take candy to the children in the uh, hospitals. A uh, very sad place to be and I know that was really difficult for him but felt like that was something he could do to bring uh, a little bit of fun to the atmosphere. So that's my Christmas story. I hope you don't have one that is just as uh, aggravating as mine was. Well, today we are in the Gospel of Luke, and as many of you know, it's my favorite gospel. It gives the fullest life story of Jesus. It's also the only gospel that has a sequel. Luke is part one, and the book of Acts, or Acts of the Apostles, is part two of the early Christian history. Now, Luke's gospel shows that Jesus is the Savior of all, and he's his coming to the world was not just a regional thing, it was a world event, okay? It wasn't just for that space. And the way I like to think about Luke's gospel is Luke makes Jesus accessible to everybody. You see in the gospel of Luke many stories of Jesus reaching out to the marginalized, those who were on the fray. So Jesus is accessible to everybody, Now, when I think about the mundane and the supernatural, this is the image that first came to my mind, and I need to cue this up. There we go. Uh, Because I have boys and we had superheroes in our house all growing up, so I thought of Clark Kent being the mundane and Superman being the supernatural. So there's your crazy, unspiritual image for the morning. Well, we are talking about the shepherds being kind of the mundane. So we're going to look at who were these shepherds and why would God choose them to reveal the birth of his son to before anybody else? Well, they lived most of their year outside, away from townspeople. They were constantly with their sheep because, as many of you know, sheep are not terribly intelligent and they can get into trouble very quickly. Now, the shepherds of Jesus' time had a very bad reputation. They were thought of as untrustworthy. They were rough around the edges. They would be like our very low, uh, maybe what you'd call a blue-collar worker in today's society. They weren't even allowed to be witnesses in a court of law because they were that distrusted. It was even made worse because they were unclean. Now, Remember, unclean here does not just mean unclean because of their work in the fields, but it would also mean ceremonially unclean. See, they would be defiled because they would have been around and touching animal carcasses and blood and things that would defile them from being able to go in to the temple. But you see, this is just how God works. The most unclean men were the first to kneel before Jesus and worship him. And this was a foreshadowing of the things to come. You see, Jesus, he didn't come for the well. Jesus came for the sick. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. From the very beginning, God extended reconciliation to those who needed him most, not to those who thought they had it all together. Now, some of Israel's great heroes were shepherds. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, of course, King David was a shepherd. But the view of the shepherd had changed, and these shepherds in the book of Luke had been at the bottom of the social and financial pile for sure. Who do you think of, or what group do you think of, when you hear bottom of the social and financial pile? I think of some of the families that we host for Mary's Place here during the week. Definitely by the world's standards, they are at the bottom of that pile. I also think of a time about 10 years ago when God convicted me on how I judged a person who would be in that situation. I was shopping in a grocery store, and there was a homeless man in the grocery store, just kind of hanging out, you know, no place to go. And I am embarrassed to say I got very annoyed with this. I thought, why are they just kind of letting him loiter? He's kind of a scary-looking guy. And I'm doing my shopping. And all of a sudden, God says to me, who do you think you are? I have created this man in my image with dignity. And you are not to look down on him. Well, I went over to the deli case... I told the person behind the counter, I wanted him to make up a couple of sandwiches and get some drinks and chips and all this stuff. And I said, please give this to him after I leave the store. I don't want him to know I'm the one who purchased it. And that just really cured me ever since then when I see somebody in that situation, how I view them and how God views them. Well, with these shepherds, Most likely, they were caring for the very sheep who would be used as the animal sacrifices in the temple. God had a very specific purpose in choosing these men to be the first to hear the news about Jesus. How ironic that it was these shepherds who would be inspecting sheep for any imperfections before they could be used as a sacrifice, and they were the ones who went to see Jesus first, who was the Lamb of God without any imperfections and perfect, the perfect sacrifice of all time. Now, the announcement of Jesus' birth, the most important event in human history, was brought first to the shepherds, the weak, the disreputable, illiterate men whom God was pleased to choose. And it reminds me of this verse, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Do you ever feel like an unlikely one who God would choose to speak to or through or use to serve him for his purposes? Have you ever, like me, Have you ever, like me, argued with God, which I do almost on a daily basis, about your qualifications or your skills or even your availability to serve him? Well, we have a little background on the shepherds. What about the angels? Who were these angels? Well, I was thinking about our Christmas brunch yesterday with all the ladies in here, and many of you were here, and we certainly saw a really cute and funny and poignant taproot theater performance about angels. I think that it was wonderful. There were a few theological issues in it, I have to say, so just so you know, you want to go back to Scripture and read, but it was very entertaining and very thought-provoking. I thought of two of my favorite Christmas movies that have angels in them, The Bishop's Wife, with Loretta Young and Cary Grant, one of my favorites. And then, of course, It's a Wonderful Life, who has Clarence, the guy who earns his wings every time a bell rings, right? Well, we know that's not terribly true either, but they certainly are fun to watch. Here's what angels are not. Angels are not fairies. They are not magical. We don't become angels when we die, and we were not angels before we were born and we are certainly not angels right now. The word for angel in both Hebrew and Greek means messenger. Angels are created beings and not spirits of departed humans. They can, however, take on the appearance of humans. The author of Hebrews that we've been studying tells us, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Possibly, I was entertaining an angel in the grocery store. Now, we know that they were created before the creation of the world. In the book of Job, we're told that they were present as the earth was created. Angels are mentioned 196 times throughout the Bible, and our common conception of them is that they are little winged cherubs or females, which generally is not how they're described in Scripture. Are there good angels and bad angels? Yes, there are. Lucifer, Satan, was an angel, and we are told that he was not happy with just being an angel, but desired to be like God. Always a dangerous thought, just so you know. And he and the angels who agreed with him were thrown out of heaven and now have limited power here on earth. Paul tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. But here's the main principle to remember about angels. Every reference to angels is incidental to some other topic. They're not treated in and of themselves. God's revelation never aims to inform us about the nature of angels. When they are mentioned, it is always in order to inform us about the further our understanding of the nature of God, who he is, how he works, and what he does. Their power is great, but their power is always derived from God. They have no power on their own. They are used for God's purposes and should never be worshipped in and of themselves. They are ministering spirits as this verse tells us here. Well, the job description of an angel includes, if you go through scripture, worshiping and praising God, communicating on God's behalf, guiding, as in the story of Joseph and Mary, when Joseph was not going to go through with his marriage to Mary and the angel came, and also when they fled to Egypt, providing, protecting, delivering, Strengthening and encouraging and caring for believers at the moment of death. They also have been used as executioners, as in the angel of death in the book of Exodus. Now, here's an image of the angel who appeared to the shepherds first. The angel is not far off in the sky like we have in our heads, that they looked up at the sky and they saw this angel. It actually says, an angel of the Lord stood before them. This was an up-close and very personal appearance. And then there was good news that this angel brought. It was for poor people, rich people, weak people, strong people, women, men, old and young. This message was for everybody. The truth, that this, the truth that this news or message was for all people was certainly exemplified in the fact that they came to the shepherds. The news was that a savior was born that day in the city of David, which was Bethlehem, and they would find this baby in a manger wrapped in cloth. Now, the angel terms this baby as savior, and the Greek sorter, one who rescues, delivers, Preserves From Old Testament prophecies, the Savior would bring salvation from enemies and from sin. But not just to the Jews, to the Gentiles too. The angel says that this particular Savior is Christ the Lord. Now why not use the title Christ by itself? Because it's important for the shepherds to know that not only was Jesus the Messiah or the Anointed One but also Yahweh, God himself, rather than just an exalted person. Well, now we have a multitude of angels coming, praising God and giving a message, peace on earth. So why would the angels proclaim this message when at this time in history, there was no war? Things were very quiet. There was peace. So why would the angel proclaim peace on earth? When you think of peace, what do you think of? When you think of a peaceful situation or a peaceful place, what do you think of? I think of nobody in my house. It's all quiet. I'm sitting on my couch with a good cup of coffee and a book, and Nothing that I absolutely have to do. That's my vision of peace. Well, when it comes to peace, these angels were talking about supernatural peace, not circumstantial peace. Not peace that comes from something that happens to us or is outside of us. You see, it's peace that comes from being reconciled to God through his son Jesus. That's the only way we get real peace. Now, that can happen because Jesus was born, and all of a sudden that ushered that in. See, the first Christmas was all about God's plan for mankind to experience true peace once and for all. I don't know about you, but I personally have had a very unpeaceful year. I'm sure many of you have struggled with things too. We've had lots of health issues in our family this last year, and it has Not been very peaceful, especially as the world would say we would have peace. Because the world says you have peace when you have everything you want, when there is no conflict, everybody's getting along, and that's why we see these images on TV of these wonderful Christmases with everybody getting along, and there's great food, and there's all these presents, and it's just not realistic. And that is not what God is talking about anyway. You see, if I relied on all of that to give me peace, I would never experience peace. It would be a constant struggle every day of unrest in my soul. It's only when I can turn my thoughts to Jesus that I have the peace that passes all human understanding. The angels were proclaiming that kind of peace, the kind of peace that only the presence of Jesus our Savior, Christ the Lord, can give. Jesus was the ultimate act of God saying, peace on earth and goodwill to men. Now, Micah tells us that he, meaning Jesus, is our source of peace. Isaiah says he is the prince of peace. In John, Jesus himself says, peace I give you, not as the world gives, Because, you see, the world can only offer circumstantial peace. Ephesians tells us that he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, meaning Jesus can give us peace with God, but also peace with one another. Every group, one. I love this quote. So the peace Christ leaves is the power to hold the wildest fear in pause, to still a clamor or hush a cry. It is the coming of mercy to a sense of sin, of life to the fear of death. That's real peace. Do you want that kind of peace? For me, at this time of year, and I'm sure for many of you, it's really hard to be at peace. There is so much activity going on, and it's just so crazy that Jesus came to give us peace, but the very thing we're celebrating, I'm unpeaceful about because I'm trying to do all the things that we do at Christmas to make Christmas Christmas and miss out on the peace that Christ brings. So are you feeling at peace right now? Is there a situation that you are not feeling peaceful about, that you really want to? There was a time last spring when I really did not experience uh, peace right away, but really focused on Jesus and was able to have that happen for me. We had the women's retreat coming up, and my daughter-in-law and I were speaking together at the retreat. We each were going to take two of the talks. The retreat was coming up Friday, We were really excited about this. And on Tuesday, I got a phone call that she was in the hospital with a tubal pregnancy. So that brought a lot of non-peace. Is that how you say it to me? Obviously, I was very upset and concerned for her. This was really hard. And then on the next hand, I'm thinking, and in three days, we have a retreat coming up, and I have two talks done, and how is all this going to happen, Lord? And I... You know, I had a couple of hours of God letting me have my time of ranting and raving and all of that, and then I remembered, who are you? You are my savior, you are my deliverer, you are my provider, and I was able to truly experience peace in all of that. That was a real miracle. Now, today, as we do on every Communion Sunday, we will have prayers in the back room behind the soundboard. If there is a situation that right now you really want peace about, I would encourage you to, during communion and after, take advantage of going back there and having these people pray for you so that you can experience the peace that Christ is offering you and wants you to have. Now, I have a few conclusions from our text today. The mundane and the supernatural They coexist every day. They are not working separately. The shepherds were simply going about their mundane lives in the fields, tending their their sheep, when all of a sudden God invaded in a supernatural way to give them the message. So are you aware of God's work in your everyday mundane life? Do you see it? Do you recognize it? Do you think about it? There is supernatural activity all around you. When I am having trouble feeling that and, and believing that, there is a great story in 2 Kings that I go back to and read over and over again. Some of you may be familiar with it. In 2 Kings, the Bible describes how God provides an army of angels leading horses and chariots of fire to protect the prophet Eli- excuse me, Elisha and his servant. And to open the eyes of the servant who is having trouble believing God is there. You see, the king of Aram, which is now Syria, was at war with Israel. And the king decided to send a large group of soldiers to capture Elisha. So that he could no longer help the Israeli army. Verses 14 to 15 say, Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, meaning the king. They went by night They surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, who is Elisha, got up and went out the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city, and the servant said, Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Have you ever asked that question? Being surrounded by a large army with no way to escape terrified this servant and who at this point in the story could only see the earthly army in front of him. Then we have verses 16 to 17. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us, I love this, are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Here's an image that I found, and you can see the horses, uh, the fire up high. And here is another image that I found. Bible scholars believe that angels were in charge of those horses and chariots of fire. They were present in the surrounding hills, ready to protect Elisha and his servant. So through Elisha's prayer, his servant gained the ability to see not just the physical dimension, which would be the mundane or the ordinary, but also the spiritual dimension, the supernatural work of God. Then he could see the angelic army that God had sent to protect them. If you are struggling to see the work of God in your life, ask him to show you the reality of what he is doing, to reveal to you that what you just see in front of you is not all of it. You see, God is at work behind the scenes in ways we cannot see, we don't understand, but it doesn't mean they are not real. They are just as real as what we touch and taste and see, if not more so. So I would encourage you to pray that and to really ask God to open your eyes And last, the thing I see in this text that I think is very applicable to us is God meets us where we are. Notice that the angels met the shepherds in the fields. They didn't have to come to the temple to see God or to hear from God or encounter God. So you see, God shows up in the mundane things of our lives all the time. We may not recognize it or see it, but it doesn't mean it isn't so. And so the Lord, when he shows up, he does amazing things. Do you believe that? Do you see God at work in your life today? Are you experiencing the peace that passes all understanding? How do you want to celebrate this Christmas season? The same old way? Stressed out and struggling to get through? Or do you want to experience it the way Jesus meant for you to from the very beginning on that first Christmas? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are at work in our lives when we don't even see it. We thank you, God, that you have provided all that we need, that you deliver us, you are our Savior. And you're not just our Savior, but you are our Lord. Father, we ask that today we would truly experience your peace, everlasting peace. And we ask that we would experience the joy of knowing you are at work in our lives, and we can trust you for that. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.